Blog Talk Radio. At Firefly Willows LIVE, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest, or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable change makers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E presents Healing Conversations, featuring your host, Mildred Lynn McDonald. Welcome, everybody. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and we're here for our roundtable. The topic of our roundtable is solitude, but before we dive in, I'd like to welcome Hi C. Lutimers. Hello. And John Carousella to the table. Good morning. The Art of Solitude. I came across a quote, and it really hit me, and I'd like to share this with you. I live in that solitude, which is painful in youth, but delicious in the years of maturity. And it's by Albert Einstein, and I'll just read it one more time. I live in that solitude, which is painful in youth, but delicious in the years of maturity. What do you feel Einstein was talking about? And how can people invite more of this delicious solitude into their lives? Who would like to jump in? Well, I think what Einstein's talking about is when we're young, the idea of being alone puts us in, in our own company. And when you're young, you don't really know yourself so well. And in particular, I know and I felt that I had so much to do. I had so much that I needed to be busy with and so many goals to set and achieve. And very little of that was oriented around just being alone and just doing something all by myself. And, and I didn't know myself very well, and I wasn't very good company, you know. <laughs> so it was difficult to be alone when I was young. But now I'm, I think, older and wiser and less frenetic, and I am more comfortable by myself. I think, you know, going for a walk or going for a a hike or even going camping by myself, it would be nothing like a similar experience when I was in my youth. Now it would be delicious, whereas then it would be boring or frustrating or lonely. How about you, Heisey? Well, I think that when we are young, you know, we're going through that process of finding ourselves, figuring out who we are, trying on different roles, different aspects to understand which ones feel right and fit us best. And I think that while some of that can be done in solitude, because there is that need to connect from an inner level, I think that in in youth, we're doing, we don't want to necessarily do that alone because we need the other people to bounce those things off of, to be a reflection for us because we can gauge 
If I put on this persona, how is that perceived? If I try to be this in the world, what happens? How do people accept me or not accept me, etc.? Actually, I think the word that Einstein uses is very important here because, in a sense, I realize he uses the word youth, but then he doesn't say, but delicious in the years of being older. He actually says delicious in the years of maturity. And maturity can come at any age. And I think maturity comes when we recognize that being myself or being on my own, I have that relationship with myself that I'm comfortable with. And some people may find that and discover that at 25. Some people may not discover that till they're 50. And some people may never discover it. I think there's also kind of this social pressure, especially when we're younger, to not be alone. Either it's the importance that's always placed on finding and being in relationship as if relationship is always going to be the thing that brings us ultimate happiness or completes us or that kind of thing. I mean, just think of the messages around that in terms of, you know, media and stories and everything else. And also the loner, especially for youth, the loner is often the one that is looked at as weird or as there's a something wrong with them. They're outcast. Yeah, or they're made fun of. And so there isn't a lot of external social support when people are younger for exploring and understanding the value of solitude. When I read the quote for the first time, and I had never seen it before, my first thought was to equate the solitude with introverts and extroverts. And then I realized, no, 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 it has nothing to do with being an introvert or an extrovert. And then the next thing that came into me was looking at the way of the earth, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. So if I look at breathing in, it's kind of contracting, and the contracting reminds me of solitude, and I look at breathing out, and it's expansive and putting yourself out there. So then I thought about, well, what does that have to do with youth or have to do with maturity? And see, like yourself, and as John alluded to, I was feeling that in youth, you are trying to define yourself, figure out what fits where, where do you fit into the world, and you use a lot of external validation or external cues to define yourself or push yourself up against the envelope. But as you get older, you kind of have that information solved to a certain extent, and then you have the opportunity to start going inward, and you realize that your most important voice is your inner voice. And the inner voice, in order to listen to it, because often it whispers, requires centering yourself, and that often lends itself to situations where you're going for a walk, or you're going for a hike, or you're by the ocean, or you're listening to the trees, which equates to solitude. And I really got a kick out of Einstein, because he used the word delicious. That is the perfect word, because it is delicious, and I find myself... As I mature in the world, looking forward to my times in solitude, which, of course, as I shared earlier, I equated to the breathing in and the breathing out of the earth, which I try to align my life force energy with. Have you guys ever experienced this delicious solitude yourselves? I definitely have, in particular, most recently, when I was given the opportunity to house sit for four months at this beautiful home with a beautiful garden in Cupertino. What a treasure. And I wasn't really sure what it would be like to be alone. 
but it really was precious. It was sweet and opening and tranquil. A kind of tranquility that I haven't often experienced, and it was delicious. It really was. What about you, High C? I know you love being low. <laughs> well, it's true, actually. Um, and, and I actually always have. I mean, even when I was younger, I was certainly not the most extroverted and social and that kind of thing. And I liked your inhale and exhale. And I think that the inhale part is, well, it's certainly not very common or supported in a sense, especially when we're younger. I think we're seeing the importance of that being recognized as things like mindfulness meditation and that kind of thing are starting to be brought into what might be considered unconventional places like schools, prisons, <laughs> that kind of thing. But I think that our world has accelerated the pace of exhaling and it's like everybody is exhaling constantly now because everybody wants to take a picture and post it on Facebook. Everybody has theoretically, something to say on Twitter. Nobody takes a moment to inhale, and that's why everybody's always having to apologize for something they posted on Twitter or whatever, because nobody takes that moment to breathe even before they speak. And for me, I've always been much more of stand back and observe and not talk a lot. I know that'll surprise you, because, well, something that actually I said a little while ago before we started this to Mildred is, you know, we only have a certain number of breaths or a certain number of exhales in this lifetime. And for me, solitude is about recognizing the importance of each of the exhales and giving that space and importance to everything that comes out rather than just randomly exhaling. And you can only do that with solitude because you have to breathe in, you have to take that moment to center and figure out, is what I'm saying what I want to say, etc. And that like you were saying, it doesn't have to just be about being alone. Solitude can also just be that moment to go inward. But I think the danger of the word delicious is just like with a food, we can overindulge in it. So people that are prone to enjoying the solitude and the deliciousness of solitude can start to hide away or lock themselves away from the world. And so you have to be careful that the deliciousness of it doesn't become the overeating of it point that you make yourself quote unquote sick the same way that you might if you overate and said oh this cheesecake is delicious i'm not going to have one slice i'm going to eat the whole thing in one sitting well <laughs> you might lose the deliciousness of it by doing that because you start to associate it with it making you feel bad rather than it making you feel good i wonder if you could become obese in solitude <laughs> <laughs> Figuratively speaking, not physically speaking. <laughs> right. No, but I think it can. I think it can be unhealthy in the same way. Just yeah. like overeating, overeating something that's delicious can lead to something unhealthy in the physical state. Overeating, quote unquote, the deliciousness of solitude can lead to an unhealthy emotional and mental state. It occurred to me as you guys were speaking that maybe someone might not feel comfortable giving themselves the gift of solitude. Oh, they, yeah. Sure. So any thoughts on that? Well, you know, I think we are social creatures and we have social structures because we're social creatures. And anytime that we step away from those social structures, I think it's common for us to have a sense of fear 
that we're that we're stepping away and also maybe a little guilt that we're not going to be there for whoever might we who might typically rely on right you know people rely on us for things just because we're social creatures we're part of their social fabric and when we disappear there's a a possibility that somebody's going to miss us and be upset that we're not there it's like a sense of obligation and so I think it is possible for people to not give themselves solitude when it might be called for, because we make it mean something else. We make it mean dereliction of duty or something like that. Well, actually, I would question you, John. Why would you label us as social creatures? Because we're high-level primates. We're designed to live in tribe and community. I think that something people may confuse or conflate is the idea of solitude versus isolation. And I think a lot of people are afraid of solitude because they think it means being alone or being cut off from. And that is really more what isolation is versus solitude. And solitude, I think why it's delicious in Einstein's eyes is because solitude is when you're spending time with yourself and you have a relationship with yourself and you're going inward and experiencing things that often get drowned out or that you can't when you're constantly focused on or interrupted by the external world. And nowadays, I think we're so trained. I think part of going off of what you were saying, John, not just responsibility to other people that we think we may be somehow neglecting, but also people are afraid that they're missing out on something. I'm not constantly connected to the world. If I don't have a constant Twitter feed, if I don't have a constant stream of news, then I'm going to be missing out on something that other people are experiencing or know about. And then what? Then I'm not part of the group. Right, right. So, so there's, the, there's the guilt and the fear of missing something. Those would be the two things that I would feel might come up if I wanted to give myself the gift of solitude. But I actually really like what you said, see that... Solitude is not the same as isolation. And I think that is a distinction worth cultivating. It's the same as the idea of, you know, you can be alone in a crowd, but that's not the same as feeling lonely. And I think it's the same. You can be in solitude, but that doesn't have to mean that you are in isolation. And it also sounds like solitude, the gift of solitude, is something that's very anchoring. And necessary, like breathing in and breathing out. It's almost like the pendulum has swung too far to the, as you said, high C, the expansion, the breathing out stage. And to be in balance, there might be an opportunity to give more emphasis to the solitude aspect. Yeah, it's it's swung too far to the side of noisy. Yeah. Solitude offers us that side of quietness and stillness that we often lack by constant outside stimuli always coming in and then always, like John was saying, this part of the youth thing that he was saying, always being busy. Mm -hmm. People have to feel like they're always busy, always on the go, always doing something to feel as if they're somehow important or that they're making the most of their life. Well, John and Heisey, I would love to talk a little bit more about the art of solitude. We are going to complete our roundtable for this week, so I would like to invite everybody to stay tuned for the next segment of the show. John, thank you very much. Oh, pleasure. And hi, C, thank you very much. Thank you, Mildred. 
have a wonderful day in Menlo Park and John, wherever you happen to be around the world. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Bye for now. Well, that's our roundtable for this week. Many thanks to Mildred Lynn McDonald and participants John Carousella and Heisey Lutmers. We hope you found this roundtable discussion engaging and thought-provoking. If you would like to join the conversation, visit facebook.com slash fireflywillows and add your comment under this week's roundtable post. Stay tuned. Hello, this is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and I'm your host for Healing Conversations, live from Sebastopol, California. We hope you're enjoying the show today. Are you an elder or an elder activist? Is this something you aspire to be now or perhaps in the future? If you have a heart-centered yearning to share your wisdom, reflections, and life experience with others that you meet along the happy trail, then this show is for you. Our special guest, Lynn Iser, is an activist, a teacher, a facilitator, and the creator-founder of ElderActivists.org. It's an organization committed to bringing forth a thriving and just world by advocating a strong elder legacy that creates hope for ourselves and for future generations. Prepare to be touched by Lynn's call to action as she talks about her personal journey as inspired by key influencers such as Joanna Macy, Ph.D., and the Pachamima Alliance. Learn about rewiring, recommitment, and community-based resources that will help you answer pressing questions like, what can I do, and where do I start? So, with an open heart, an open mind, and much interest, let's welcome Lynn Iser to the show today. Welcome, everybody. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and thank you for joining us today. I'd like to welcome Lynn Iser to the show. Lynn, are you there? I am here. Hi, Mildred. Now, Lynn, I want to dive right in here. I'm really interested, and I know our listeners are interested, in all of the activity that's around elder activism. I know you're very well-versed in this area, and I know you have a passion so I'm going to take the ball, I'm going to throw it over to you, Lynn, and ask you, what is an elder activist? What is an elder activist? What a great question. An elder activist is someone who's using their years of life experience and perhaps their wisdom to help them make decisions about how to live the rest of their life, but especially about how to respond to many of the issues and concerns that we face in our lives, in our communal lives, as a culture, as a world, as a nation. And so an elder activist is responding to those issues and concerns that many of us feel. So when you're talking about an elder, does it mean a person that's older or does it mean a mindset? Do you need to have a certain number of years under your belt? Well, I don't think that you need to have a certain number of years under your belt. It is a certain mindset. It is using 
our life experience, what we've learned through life, with a bit of reflection to understand the way we want to live our lives. That's the way I define an elder. There's another side of it as well, which is that that kind of life reflection and life experience generally begins to happen in the second half of life. So I saw when I turned 50 as kind of the jubilee time, the jubilee year, a bit of a demarcation from my adulthood to my older adulthood and a time to begin reflecting on how do I want to live the second half of my life and what's important to me. I think that's the beginning of becoming an elder. Did this happen for you overnight or to most people overnight or was it a process? It's exactly a process. Okay. It was the beginning of becoming an elder. Becoming an elder could be a long process. It could be three, four, five years. It could be 15, 20 years. And even for myself, and I'm a person that began learning about eldering when I was 40 because of the work I was doing, it took me probably 10 or 12 or 14 years to really embrace the idea that I'm an elder and begin to understand how to live more like an elder. And I don't think I'm really living as much as an elder's life as I would like to. You mentioned wisdom and you mentioned reflection and you mentioned life experience. To me, it looks like a triangle. One kind of feeds into the other. In your opinion, Lynn, why are these three vibrations, energy vibrations, wisdom, reflection, and life experience, so important? It's an interesting way that you phrased it. Because in the process, I would probably look at life experience and reflection leading to wisdom. That as a person of 50 or 60 years of age, we have a significant amount of life experience. Some of it's very positive. Some of it's very joyous. Some of it's very clear to us about the path of our life or what we might have learned in life. And we sometimes have a bit of life experience that isn't as easy or isn't as positive. Maybe it's some of the difficulties of our lives, the challenges of our lives. And most of us know that the challenges and difficulties of our lives are many times that we learn a lot about life in ourselves. And that's where a lot of our wisdom comes from, the struggles that we have in life. So the life experience with a little bit of reflection mixed together can bring us to some wisdom. When you were sharing about the life experience plus the reflection leading to wisdom, the word that came into my consciousness was perspective. My sense is that an elder activist or elders would have a certain perspective that they could bring to the table. Any thoughts on that? Elders definitely offer perspective. Absolutely because they do have this long life experience. And elder activists might offer some even additional perspective in that we might know as an elder what's really important and what's really truthful. Maybe the battle that we're fighting or the activism that we're standing up for is an activism around values, is around some core truths that we know to be just essential to life. 
And so I think that is a piece of what elders can offer. So when we're looking at perspective and what elders bring to the table, would you be able to give an example of that? I know for myself what came into me was the story about the old bull and the young bull. I don't know if you've ever heard about that, Lynn. I don't know that story. <laughs> well, it's a funny little story. And basically there's two bulls standing on the top of the hill and the young bull nudges the old bull and says, let's run down and get a cow. And the old bull thought to himself, well... You know, that's going to take a lot of energy. And he said to the young bull, hmm, let's walk down and get them all. So in terms of perspective, from an elder point of view, that to be says life experience has taught the old bull to be careful how you use your energy, whereas the young bull has tons and tons of energy, but maybe not the focus. That's what came to my mind when you were talking about the wisdom and reflection and life experience. So that brings to mind another story, if we could tell stories for sure, a moment. <laughs> I don't know if you know this story, but there's an old grandparent, maybe a grandmother or grandfather, sitting around a campfire at night with a bunch of young children, some grandchildren. And the grandparent says to the children, children, I need to tell you something. Inside of myself, there's a really big battle going on. It's tearing me apart. I have two wolves that are fighting inside of me. And the children say, well, who are the two wolves? And the grandparent says, well, one wolf is the wolf of love. And one wolf is the wolf of fear. And the children say, but grandparent, grandma, who will win? And the grandparent says, ah, the one that I feed is the one that will win. So grandparents or elders offer that reflection, that perspective of being able to understand what life's journey is about. And as you said, where we put our energy, where I want to focus my energy. And we learn some of that perspective through reflection and also through something we haven't mentioned yet, which is called life review. So life review is a very important part about becoming an elder. It's the part in which we look at our lives and we say, hmm, what has worked in my life? What have I done well? And maybe what hasn't worked so well? Or what do I want to let go of my life? What dreams or ideas or actions do I no longer need to do? And a very important piece for us as we get older is what's still yearning to come through? What really needs to be expressed? What do I really need to pay attention to? Because many of us have a lot of dreams and ideas about things that we want to do. And as we get older, we come to realize we can't do them all. We have to whittle them down a little bit. And so finding the passion within or the yearning within the story that just won't go away, the dream or the vision that won't go away, that's what we really need to connect with and allow that to empower us as we go forth. I love that. Thank you. Now, let's go back to the elder activist. I know you have a website, and I know that you're going to share with our listeners a little bit of your feeling about why this work is directed to elders. I do have a website, mm -hmm. and it's called elder 
hyphen activist. And I designed this website to inspire and educate and support elders, older people, in becoming activists. Because I felt that the world really needed the energy, the resources, the wisdom that elders had to offer in order to be able to turn our world around a little bit. One thing that I've found, and I really want to get your perspective on this, is I noticed that in today's society, people work and then they retire. Often retirement is a reward for many years of working and people have a lot of leisure time. Other people choose to take their energy and give back to the community. But I always thought that the word retire would be great if we didn't have it. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost as if people's sense of purpose may go away when they retire, like a lot of people pass over within the first two years of retiring. In your experience working with people in your own life process, how do you feel about the word retire in the context of being an activist, an elder activist? Right. Most of us do not really like the word retire anymore. Mm -hmm. It seemed to fit where we're at maybe in the 1960s or so, when, as you said, people worked very hard in their lives. Many people had jobs that required a lot of energy, and so they'd work till they were 65, and then they'd also come home, and they'd have to mow their own lawns, and they'd have to wash their clothes, and they'd have to do the shopping, and we'd have the conveniences we do now. And then when they got to be 65 or of that age, they really wanted to have a bit of leisure. And people passed over at a much earlier age. But that doesn't always fit where we're at right now. When we retire, if that's, quote, what we do at age 65, we could imagine living another 20 years with energy and vitality and a desiring continued engagement in the lives around us and more that we want to do. So some people call it rewirement, recommitment, and recommitment actually allows us to go through a process when we stop working, if that's what we do, of life review, reflecting on what have I done with my life? What would I like to do? And that is what could fuel our years after we stop working, if there are years after we stop working. Maybe we work less hours. Maybe we take another job. Maybe we, maybe we spend time in leisure. Maybe we take care of our grandchildren, if that's what we have, and allow our children to do the hard work they need to do. And we build those relationships with a younger generation. There's many ways of living this time of life now. Retirement morphed into rewirement, and also more (laughs) into recommitment. You just took an area for me that I have been playing with and gave me two words to work with. So thank you, Lynn. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. And to build on it a little bit more, how do you feel the elder activist fits in with the concept of lifelong learning? Well, there's two ways I think that we could look at lifelong learning. One is the desire to expand what we know and take classes on things that we've always been interested in. Learning, such in the case of classics or languages or pursuing interests that we might have. But the other piece that I think is very important is considering that becoming an elder 
entering this time of life, or entering any major time of life, there's a lot of self-development and self-growth to consider. And we might consider the lifelong learning to be how we continue to grow, how we continue to get to know who we are, to discern our values, to discern what is important to us, how we want to spend our time, who we want to spend our time with, where to put our energy. So that's another form of lifelong learning. I want to reflect on one other piece, too. Mm -hmm. One of the jobs of being an elder within my framework is to engage in a process of what I call completing your life. If we are fortunate enough to grow older or to grow into our 60s or 70s or 80s or 90s or wherever, we are being given an amazing gift of time. And with that gift of time, we have the opportunity to complete our lives. And by completing our lives, I mean to follow that thread of what's important, to follow the threads of where the maybe ouches or difficulties in my life that need resolution. Are there relationships in my life that I want to clean up? How do we prepare to come to the end of our lives with a sense of satisfaction? To be able to look back and say, it's been a good life. I feel satisfied. And I believe that if we do that work, many of the end-of-life issues that people might have would not be quite as enormous. So growing older gives us the opportunity to do life completion work. And again, it's different for each of us, depending on what our life's been, what our temperament is, about what we might want to need to desire to do. Beautiful, beautiful work. So... I'm rewired and recommitting myself and I need to do some inner work because I am standing there and I see that my life is not infinite. It has a certain amount of time. And my sense from my heart is that I need to do a little work on relationships. So what would that look like in the context of elder activism? Well, I'm thinking a little bit here. Mm -hmm. I think the work on relationships is really personal work. Okay. And I would not look at it in terms of elder activism. I would look at it as the work of becoming an elder or the work mm -hmm. of completing one's life. But the other part of life completion is to create a legacy because our legacies are truly our immortality. And as elders, we create legacies. We tell stories. We share histories. We transmit values. We transmit our wisdom from generation to generation. And that's the work we do in relationships. We might also do some work of building a community institution or leaving a family farm or a homestead or looking around at the world and going, oh my gosh, on my watch, there's more inequality. Or I'm really concerned about climate change. What will be here for future generations? And that's the, the piece of communal legacy building that I think many of us are doing at this time of our life. And it's the piece that 
inspires activism. My understanding is that you recently had a workshop. How did that go and anything you wanted to share about that? Thank you. We did a workshop called Becoming Elders in Our Emerging World. The intention of the workshop was to look at both how do we become elders and how do we look at the question of what gives my life meaning in the context of the world in which we're living, which is both rapidly changing and for many of us presents many challenges. Certain people or certain types of people at this point in their lives are attracted to becoming an elder activist. Any common denominators there? I think the common denominator is that people feel a certain amount of discomfort with the world in which we're living because they see the ways in which the world is not healthy or is not thriving or is not sustainable, is not just. So that's where the discomfort comes from, is looking around and going, this world, it's not such a good world that we are leaving to future generations. And at a certain point in our lives, maybe when we're 50 or 60 or so, we have more time. We might not have children that we have to care for. We, our jobs might be a little bit less demanding. And so we might have the time to engage in learning more and in becoming more of an activist to bring forth a world that we want to leave to future generations or a world that we feel proud of. Now, what I've noticed is that sometimes people are moved to act or become active or become an activist or maybe an advocate, but they're shy to use their voice. Have you come across this in dealing with people? I have. I'm actually thinking of a woman that I met four or five months ago that was very concerned but had never done anything and felt like she didn't really have very much to offer. But she did show up at a training that I was also at. And she was quiet and shy. But showing up at the training and being with, you know, another dozen or two dozen people of her age that were also concerned and were in the conversation, I believe helped her a lot. Because I've seen her at many demonstrations and rallies since then. And it's such a wonderful sight because she was so clear to say, I don't know what I could do. I don't think I could be of any value. I've never done anything. And now she's showing up. It reminds me of a story my mother told me. I remember my mother was a school teacher, and there was something on the table. Something had happened at the school, and everybody was saying to her, go ahead, go ahead. You represent the group. It won't support you. Well, when the time came... She was the only person that stood up. Oy. And I asked her about that. I said, are you disappointed? Are you disappointed that nobody stood behind you? And she said, absolutely not. She said, I, I got up and I said what I needed to say. And this was toward the end of her career when I would view her as being in the elder territory. And from that situation, she shared with me an elder activist. Yes. That changed a lot of how I perceived things. And I can really relate to the story that you're sharing about this particular woman that you met who hadn't been active, but now she's found her voice. Maybe she's found her feet. Maybe she's found her hands. 
So exactly. for our listeners out there, if you are resonating with what Lynn is sharing from her experience in this area, either about the process of becoming an elder and or becoming an elder activist, I'd like to invite you to re-listen to this episode of Healing Conversations because the words rewirement, recommitment, completing your life, all of these things, you could sit down with a nice cup of tea and spend a, a good while reflecting. So, Lynn, I want to thank you for that. That's really good work. Well, thank you. There's another piece of this, too, that I think is important and that I learned again in our workshop, is that you get a group of people together, whether it be 8 or 15 or 25, and you open up the questions and start having the conversations, and people want to talk about these issues. People want to talk about growing older. They want to talk about the way they see the world. They want to talk about maybe their discomforts with the world the way it is or the way they'd like the world to be. And what can we do? And what are you doing? And what could I do? And that conversation is so rich. And we support each other from that. We support each other to find our own voice. We support each other to learn from each other. We support each other to say, oh, I did this. Of course you could do that. And that's what's so very valuable about having the conversations and feeling okay about talking about the issues that are sometimes not so easy. Have you run across people who might say or a person, well, what do I have to say? You know, who would ever listen to me? Or whatever I have to say, it has been said before. Have you ever heard any of that self-talk? There's a lot of self-doubt okay. and lack of self-confidence that many of us feel. We think that we need to know everything or that we have to be very powerful or well-spoken. And that's not always what moves mountains. What makes things happen is when we speak from our heart, when we share what's important to us, when we allow our own voice to come through. And we all have a little piece to the puzzle. We all have something that's important to us to share. And you never know when that's going to spark something for somebody else. I like that, sparking something for someone else. Good. That's certainly a piece of what I've learned in my life. People have come back to me 5, 10, 15 years later and said, you know, you said this one time. And I go, I don't remember saying that. And yet it was very important to them. So you never know. Just never know. The other thing I wanted to ask you, Lynn, is from your observations, what are the benefits of becoming an elder activist for yourself or for the community? How does it fill you up? Well, I think it fills us in two ways. One is when we look around and there's things that disturb us or we're not happy with or we feel are just wrong and we don't do something about it, it kind of eats away at us. And so when we see an injustice, we want to stand up and say something about it. Just like your mother wanted to stand up and say something, even if she didn't have a pack of people behind her. She knew she was bothered that she had the words, and she needed to say it. So when we get to speak, and activism is really, if you look at the root of the word, it's being active. 
So activism is allowing ourselves to be active in the face of what is. The other point is the communal energy. We, most of us, are part of this baby boom of a generation. And we hear all the time about this amazing age wave and all the number of people in this boomer generation. And what are we going to do with all these old people? Well, I think that what we do with all these old people is we get them to speak the truth about the way the world is and about what's just and what's not just and about what we need to take care of. Like, we need to take care of the earth on which we live. If we don't care for this earth on which we live, it's not going to be here for us. I don't know about you, Mildred, but I remember when I first heard about bottled water, that was probably about 25, 30 years ago, and I thought to myself, why would anybody put water in a bottle? You just turn on the tap. What's wrong with the water? Well, the truth is the water's not so good in many places. We have to have bottled water. But we've made that the truth. That's not a good thing. And we're doing the same thing with our air, with not only pollution, but with rates of asthma. We're doing the same thing with the land when we do mountaintop removal or the way that we have industrial waste. As an industrial growth society, we go to the earth and we think we could take anything we want out of the earth and just use it without regard for whether other parts of the earth needs it. And if something's in our way, we just smash it. Species in our way, we just don't really care. Change waterways, we take off mountains, we do terrible things. And then we take all the waste from these industries and we just throw it back into the earth or into the air. We're not being responsible. As you were speaking, what occurred to me is the elders, in regard to bottled water and some other things you were mentioning, the elders are the ones who remember when yes. there was no bottled water because people growing up today, that is the normal. Exactly. When I was growing up in the 50s, I was born in 1950s, 1950s, I'm 64. So when I was growing up in the 50s, we were called citizens. And we took citizenship classes in school, and we were taught how to be good citizens. You know, you voted, and you didn't litter, and all this stuff made for being a good citizen and for good citizenship. Nobody's called citizens anymore. Now we're called consumers mm -hmm. because our job is to consume. But that doesn't, it's not good for us or for the world in which we live. That's not a healthy balance with each other. So I'm pretty passionate about things like this. How can people best use their voices? Well, first you have to figure out what are you passionate about. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you figure out what you're passionate about by what you love. You know, what do you love? Do you love children, birds, the earth, justice, democracy, your partner? What do you love that you want to really care for? And also, where is our pain in the world? What causes you pain? If you read the paper or you go for a walk or you engage with friends, where are the out spots for you? Where do you turn and go, oh my gosh, this worries me. Or this makes me 
sad or I feel despairing or alienated or angry. You want to look at those feelings because that's where energy is. When we allow ourselves to look at those feelings, we can discover where our energy is and where we want to put our energy. And then you find ways to be active. You can look at my website. Maybe it will inspire you or educate you. You can ask friends that have similar interests. You can just look on a bulletin board and go to a meeting for something. You can kind of shop around for a while until you find something that you want to go back to. And once again, you were sharing that this thing that you'd want to go back to was from the heart. It's not really from the head. It would be a passion or a yearning. That's where you'd get your motivation from. Now, Lynn, what is your website? Because I know people are listening to you and they're going to say, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd like to go to Lynn's website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My website is elder, E-L-D-E-R, hyphen, activist with an S at the end, dot org. And Lynn, I believe you have something else special on your website. Yes. I'm very excited. I've just created some T-shirts that say, I'm an activist committed to bringing forth a thriving and just world. And on the back it says, Activism for the Future. So if there's somebody that you know that's an activist or if there's a message you want to get out, Buy a t-shirt. Share the message. It may inspire somebody else. Excellent. I'm going to get one for myself and a couple <laughs> of friends. <laughs> How did you discover that you had potential in this area? It's a good question. A little process before I came to this. So I have a daughter who is now 21 and is a very kind and sensitive and sweet person. And all through our high school years and early college years, she just kept saying, the world is such a mess. I wish it was the way it was for you in the 1950s. I wish it was the 1960s. I wish that we could just travel around and be safe. I wish there weren't so many things to worry about. And I realized how difficult the world is for young people growing up and truly how difficult the world is. There is just so many areas that cause concern for people. So that made me think more about what am I going to do? And I felt it within myself as well. I felt all this discontent about why is the world the way it is and what can I do about it? And so I did some investigating and I went to a couple of workshops and I got involved with an organization called the Pachamama Alliance. And through that work, I discovered that environmental sustainability and social justice and a sense of spiritual fulfillment are all connected. It's not like they're separate, all connected. When there's an environmental issue, there's usually a social justice issue. And this can also be an issue around people's sense of personal fulfillment or hope. And I began to understand how we kind of got into the mess that we're in. Sometimes I struggle between thinking like, oh, human beings are just so messed up, we can't do things right. And other times I realize we've just had some mistaken assumptions. For a long while, we thought that progress was good and that all the things we were creating was wonderful, but we didn't look at the price we were paying. 
now we're beginning to look at what's the price for all these modern improvements or the progress or advancement that we want. Is it good to have a new smartphone every year? What happens to all those old smartphones? Do we really need so much stuff? And many of us know we don't need so much stuff. We don't even want so much stuff. But how do we go counter to that? The other person I learned a lot from is Joanna Macy, who is a Buddhist scholar and a systems thinker and has a wonderful body of work about reconnecting with life. And that's what I've learned about reconnecting with our love and reconnecting with our feelings and how that motivates us. So I did all this work, mm -hmm. and I learned more and more, and I kept talking to people about the age wave and all these elders and all these older people, and why don't we just all get out there and be more active and solve all these problems, and we should have a website about activism. <laughs> and then suddenly I said, well, I guess I should do it because I'm the one that's talking about it. That's right. Uh, so I found somebody that knew how to develop a website, and I've been working on it for the past year. I made a pledge to myself this time last year. I launched it in September, and I keep working on it. So it's a work in progress for sure. And I'm very happy to receive feedback and comments and help. And you have a few great quotes on the website. When I was looking at it, I noticed that, and I liked reading them. So I'd encourage our listeners to go to Lynn's website and see how it feels to you. See how you feel about being an elder, going through the elder process, and using your voice or your feet or your hands or whatever speaks to your heart to make a good change in the world and maybe even joining a community in your area or even online. What I'd like to do is give Lynn a little break. We're going to listen to a little bit of music for about a minute or two. And when we come back, Lynn is going to share with us some gems of information. So how does that sound, Lynn? Ready for a little that sounds break? That great. Okay. Yes. We'll be back in a minute or two. Thank you very much. I hope you're enjoying the show. You're listening to Healing Conversations with host Mildred Lynn McDonald on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at fireflywillows.com. Enjoy the show. 
Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Lynn Iser, and she's sharing with us about the process of becoming an elder. And we're all going in that direction, or I should say many of us are fortunate enough to be going in that direction. And also talking to Lynn about elder activism. Beautiful, beautiful work. So, Lynn, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. You shared with me a little bit earlier that there's some quotes on your website. Wondering if you might want to share one. Well, there's a piece on my website that I think is particularly relevant about why should older people become activists. And it's written by or said by Bill McKibben, who is a climate activist. What he says is this. It would be entirely appropriate if the troublemakers came from the ranks of us who are older. And why is that so? Because we are the ones that cause the problem. If somebody has to sit down the tracks of the coal train and get arrested, it should be the grandparents who have been pouring carbon into the atmosphere for the last century. We're the recipients of so much. The other reason is the greatest moment in the lives of the baby boomers were precisely the times when they raised their voices, when they declared their selfless devotion to peace or civil rights. And for many of us, the decades that followed were the times that we took care of our families, created our jobs, built our homes, but we didn't really follow our early idealism. So now is our chance to reclaim that idealism, to reclaim our better nature, to continue to look at and resolve and fix that which needs fixing in our world. Now that we have possibly the time, certainly the life experience, maybe some wisdom, certainly skills and resources, skills that we've learned over a lifetime, what can we do with these resources and skills and time to create a better world for future generations? That's what really compels me to do the work I'm doing right now. Now, if someone's out there listening, and I know they are, and they're very inspired and they're motivated by what you're sharing, they're wondering, well, what would be my first step? Or my second step. Any guidance? I say the first step is to just spend a little time with yourself. Think about what you love, what you're concerned about. Maybe make a list. You don't have to show it to anybody. Or listen to yourself in conversation with other people. What do you keep saying? So follow your interests. Follow your passion. And we have this incredible internet. Go out there. Do a little bit of research. See what's there. See where interest lies. You don't have to make commitments right away. You can shop around. I'd also encourage you to go on my website. There's a lot of information about getting educated, getting into action, getting inspired. There might be something there that sparks you. I really, really liked when you said, listen to yourself. Listen to what you are saying. That's how I got started in doing this. <laughs> That's something everybody could do at any moment, observe themselves. You mentioned your website. You have lots of resources there. Any particular online resources that come to mind? 
Well, I am particularly taken by the work of the Pachamama Alliance. So Pachamama is spelled as it sounds, and Pachamama is an Andean South American word that relates to what we might consider to be Mother Earth, but also acknowledges the spiritual connection between all life and that we're part of that web. And their work, I think, is really excellent. The other work is the work of Joanna Macy. That's another body of work in which I've learned a great deal. And if you look at my website, there are a bunch of links that might be something they're interested in in terms of eldering, aging, encore careers, climate change, gray panthers, environmental stuff, social action work. There's a little bit for everybody because we do need to follow our own interest. And every little piece counts. That's the important thing. Every person has something to add. Lynn, what is a gray panther? <laughs> gray panthers were started mm, probably in the 1970s by Maggie Kuhn. And it was looking at how do we care for older people and stand up for the rights of older people in the 60s and the 70s and also stand up for the rights of youth. It's age and youth in action. And it was very powerful back in the 80s and maybe early 90s. And Maggie Kuhn herself was an amazing activist. And she has since passed on, and I think Grey Panthers is just continuing in her footsteps. Lynn, what, yes. what goodness and badness are you going to get into this year? Well, I've got some work that I'm very excited about. Yes. I will be speaking at a conference in Seattle, a saging conference, and I will be doing this workshop on becoming elders in our emerging world. I hope to be offering several other workshops along those lines here in Philadelphia where I live. And in... January, we'll be offering a workshop on community and interdependence. How do we create community and ways in which to live so that we understand that we're interrelated and create interdependence with others to support each other as we continue to grow and live in community and grow older? And that will be actually offered in Chiapas, Mexico with an old colleague and friend of mine that's living down there. I'm very excited about doing that. The website seems to keep growing, and I'm not sure what kind of trouble I can get into. I'm thinking about ruckus and revolution. <laughs> That's right. There was, there was a quote, um, a little revolt now and then is a good thing. I forget who said that, and I'm paraphrasing it. So, Lynn, other than those online resources, and you were sharing where you're going to be, you're going to be in Seattle, you're going to be in Mexico talking to people. I'm wondering... If someone wanted to get a hold of you, what would be the best route? Either for speaking, maybe someone's out there saying, gosh, I'd love to have Lynn at my next conference. I would love to be there. Mm -hmm. I am most easily reached on the Internet through the website. Okay. That and the, would be the best way to reach me. And I'd love to hear people's comments on what I've said today. If something was inspired within them, if I touched something within somebody, if they have an idea, if they want to share, maybe something we could a story they want to share and put on the website, I feel like it's a collaborative effort that needs to continue to grow. And I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm very excited by it. I'm excited by the response I get to it. What type of response do you get? Just out of curiosity, just before we sign off. 
people are so glad to see something that touches what they're feeling, but they haven't seen another way of acknowledging it in the world. It feels like I'm speaking to people's hearts and spirits. Any final words that you'd like to share? People sometimes say to me, well, what kind of activism is important? And you've asked me that as well. And I'd like to say I think there's two things that are important. One is that it does come from our passion, from our heart, from our spirit. I think the other thing that's very important at this time is to recognize that our world is facing many difficult crises. And for me, the activism that is needed right now is to look at what will bring forth a thriving and just world for future generations. What will make our world healthy and sane, sustainable, green for future generations? What do we want our children or great-grandchildren or any child to be able to receive in their life in this world in which we live? Healthcare, education, love, clean water, and allow that to inspire us. They're wonderful words. I'm Thank ready. You. I'm ready to go, Lynn. I'm going right to your website. Yay! <laughs> I'm signing up for everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mildred. It's been so nice to talk to you and just feel your response. Very helpful for all of us that try to do our work and what's important to us to be received by others. And Lynn, I'd love to have you back on the show next year after you finish with Seattle and Mexico. And I know there's going to be more places. So would you entertain the idea of coming back and updating our listeners? Absolutely. Thank you. So I'm talking to Lynn Iser. She shared beautiful, heartfelt, truth-oriented information on the process of becoming an elder. And I'd also like to thank Lynn for sharing with us how to become an elder activist. So important in the world today. And if people would like to revisit some of the concepts that Lynn has shared, and there are many during our time together, please feel free to re-listen to this episode. And if there's someone in your life who is entering into the stage of being an elder, why not pass this episode along to them? I'm sure they will thank you for it. So thank you, Lynn. Look forward to having you back, and thank you very thank much. Thank you, Mildred. Thank you. Join Mildred Lynn McDonald for a fascinating tour of the Mind-Body-Spirit Connection. Enjoy nourishing conversations, thought-provoking guests, personal growth tools, compassionate guidance, practical tips, plus a generous sprinkling of East Coast humor and warmth. You'll also love our popular roundtable discussions featuring Deb Carousella, Heisey Lutmers, John Carousella, and Mildred Lynn. Airs the first Sunday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. For more information, please go to HealingConversationsWithMildredLynn.com. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Carousella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist with Heisey Lutmers and Charlie Harrington, Tuesday evening at 8 p.m.